I mean, really, what better way to start your Sunday than listening to an episode of the Chaldean Priest Show? Honestly, if you think there's a better way to start your Monday, I, I challenge you. Let me know. Please. I beg you. So there's this specific street in El Cajon that um, the second you, you take a ride on it, you'll see a bunch of churches. Um, so you'll look left, you'll see the Church of Jesus Christ. You'll look right, you'll see the Presbyterian Church. You'll look left again, you'll see uh, another church. And um, it just goes on for over a mile um, with all these churches all next to each other. And I was thinking, you know, if it's someone that, um, you know, it's not too educated of what the church is or doesn't know the different denominations of the church, they can innocently think that, you know what, all these churches, they must be the same. You know, they all have uh, a certain holy title and then followed by the word church next to it. Um, And again, they'll do it very innocently. But why are there so many different churches around, you know? Um, and which one is right? Because we've seen for decades and decades this battle between so many different churches with uh, some thinking they're the authentic church that Jesus instituted and um, they have the right dogma and the Catholic church doesn't and the Protestant church does and so on and so forth. And I mean, there's over 100,000 different non-denominational churches, but there's only one Catholic church. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because if you're a cradle Catholic and you, you know, never were exposed to any other denomination aside from the Catholic religion, then, I mean, it's easier. I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic, you know. It's uh, much easier for me to comprehend uh, the Catholic Church because that's all I knew, you know, whereas some people, they, they've had a different experience with that. And today begins the first liturgical uh, week of the crowning of the church according to the Chaldean liturgy. So this is the final litur- liturgical season before we begin Advent. And I, I want today's podcast to be about the church because the, when we know the essence, when we understand the essence of the church, it helps us to understand the in- entire mission of Christ. Obviously, we're not going to s- understand everything in its totality, but I think we could get closer to knowing why Jesus did certain things that he did. So the church in Greek, so there's a few different ways to translate it, but in scripture, when scripture uses the word church, in Greek, it's translated to ecclesia, which means assembly, a place where people gather uh, for the same reason. And this is the same word that we see Jesus using in Matthew 16, where he's talking to Peter and saying, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And that word church is ecclesia. So some little history of the church in the Old Testament. So throughout salvation history, believe it or not, it prepares for the church. And sometimes when we think about the Old Testament, we're not... um, sort of convinced that the Old Testament could be in some way alluding to the church because, you know, there's so many 
uh, different books in the Old Testament with the minor and major prophets, the Pentateuch. Um, but believe it or not, so Israel in the Old Testament, it was seen as a type of church because they were um, God's covenant people. And it was a type of a universal church. And because of this, so remember, church is assembly. And Israel, they were the ones that professed the same creed, credo. Um, they worshipped by the same cult um, and lived, they all lived in unison by the same commandments. And fast forwarding to the New Testament, we see the founding of the Christian church. So when Jesus builds his church on this rock, this Petra, what he did before that is he made sure there was structure. So before and after uh, this section in Matthew 16, he's making sure that the church is filled with structure. So he appoints his 12 apostles and Peter being their leader. And he gives Peter these keys to the kingdom of heaven. And remember these keys, this is an allusion to what happens in Isaiah 22. So in Isaiah 22, there is a corrupt prime minister, right? And this prime minister will be kicked out and a new prime minister will be given to us. And anyone during that time who has knowledge of the book of Isaiah would see this connection happening right in front of them. So before I move on, I want to talk about this Basilica hymn for the first Sunday of the crowning of the church, uh, according to the Chaldean liturgy. So, and again, this author is unidentified, but it's one of the ancient uh, Chaldean church fathers. So it says this, O Lord, behold your church, saved by your cross, and your flock bought with your precious blood, offers a crown of thanksgiving and faith to you. O high priest of justice, who has exalted her by your abasement, and like a glorious bride, she rejoices and exalts in you. O glorious bridegroom, in the strength of the truth, raise the walls of her salvation and establish priests within her to be ambassadors of peace on behalf of her children. I want to concentrate on this last part because I think it's crucial. So it's talking about having strength of the truth. And this is a prayer that this author is praying. Why does there need to be strength of truth? within this church, within this ecclesia, this place of assembly. So I think something that could really relate to all of us is being sort of shying away from the truth nowadays because now, I mean, anything you say, you almost have in the back of your mind that okay, someone's either going to say that I'm a right-winger, I'm a left-winger, I'm a Marxist, I'm this, I'm that, so on and so forth. And some people get reluctant on actually even stating their opinion or you know, trying to uh, be involved in some sort of debate or conversation or what have you because they're scared that they're going to be stamped and marked by a certain title. But having strength and truth, I think, will help anyone that's having that difficulty or thinking um, that they're going to be judged for whatever they say could be able to say the truth, having confidence that it is the truth. It is the mind's conformity to reality. Um, they would be able to say it in confidence. 
you know, and that's rec- what's required of the church, you know. The church that Christ built is not a political institution, and it's not uh, a place that someone could promote propaganda. It's the truth that God has revealed to us throughout salvation history, and no one should ever be afraid to uh, proclaim this. And then it says, raise the walls of her salvation. Okay, this is where it might get a little complicated, okay? Because this almost seems as if it's like a a club, like a secret club that people are a part of that don't want anyone else to know what's going on because it's talking about walls and it's talking about salvation. So what's this author saying? That we should cut off salvation from anyone that's around us? I don't think that's the case. What I think is happening here is it's revealing the very meaning of what a sacrament is. So a sacrament in Aramaic is called raza, which means mystery. And it means that you will only, it's a mystery for those who are outside of the sacrament, outside of the church. But to partake in the mystery means that you are, what's being revealed to you is the grace of God. And I think that's one of the reasons why this author mentioned that. So going on, he says, establish priests within her. And establishing priests is, like I said, Jesus made sure that this, his church, him being the bridegroom, made sure that his church had structure in it. And in order to have structure, you have to have priests that work. But that doesn't mean they should be burnt out. You know, um, I think that's a big problem that's happening within the church. So I know in the Roman Catholic Church, there is a big um, problem with a lack of vocations. And that's probably one of the reasons why um, you'll probably notice, at least here in California, um, I don't know about other places in America, but you will start to see uh, more and more uh, priests that come from different countries because um, there's a big lack of vocations here. And I think it's essential to always promote vocations because um, the church will do everything she can to um, foster vocations and administer the sacraments. But, I mean, if you're left with nothing... Who's going to do it, you know? Um, and thank God now in the Chaldean Church, I know uh, the Diocese of St. Thomas the Apostle in Michigan, um, they're doing well, you know, with the vocations they have. They have an ordination almost every year. Uh, we're doing okay. We have um, a significantly less uh, amount of population that there is in uh, the Diocese of Michigan, but we have a seminarian that's going to be ordained a transitional deacon at the end of this year, and God willing, a priest next year, and the following year we'll have a few more. So I think we're doing, like, okay, you know, uh, with the vocations that we have. We could always use more um, because there's always a lot of work to get done. Um, but praying for vocations of priests, that's it's really important because think about your future kids and um, wanting the best for them. Because I'm sure you, whoever's listening, you guys all have a story about a priest that you grew up with and you'll never forget, you know, and you want that 
for your kids. So um, it's really important to pray for vocation. So uh, to end this off, it says, these priests are to be ambassadors of peace on behalf of her children. So maintaining peace within the church could sometimes be a struggle because everything's like always 100 miles per hour, you know? Um, and maintaining peace within chaos could be chaotic in and of itself. I know that's sort of a dichotomy, but um, I think one thing, I'll tell you a personal experience, one thing that helps me uh, to have more peace and to be able to pro promote more peace within the church is making sure I have it first, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, making sure that I'm at peace in my prayer life, in the decision-making that um, I have to do on a daily basis. And that, you know, sort of encourages me to um, be able to have that confidence to promote peace within the church, you know, especially when it comes to controversial things that may happen. And yes, that does happen in the church, you know. Um, although it's a divine institution, there are human beings who are sinful and broken that work within it and have sometimes very uh, significant roles within it. So you just have to, you know, go with it and remember that Christ instituted structure and he instituted this church on a rock, you know. It's been standing for 2,000 years and will continue to do so, you know, because that's the way God intended it to be and that's his way of communication to us. So without further ado, why don't we get to the lines then? Okay, controversial topic time. Should mass be something where people attend in casual clothing or should it be formal? I've heard both sides of the argument, okay? And I'm just going to tell you uh, my two cents of it. So it shouldn't be a fashion show, but you should at least respect the fact that you're going to be in the presence of God and, you know, look decent, you know, play the part, look decent. Because Ask yourself, if you were to go to a wedding, a big party, how would you dress? And that question, the, the answer to that question should dictate how you should dress for Mass because you are attending the wedding feast of the Lamb, the banquet. And like I said, this is different from it being a fashion show and showing off. And if you are showing off, or you just got a new purse, or you just got a new car, and you want to park it right in front of the entrance of the parish, don't do that. You're doing something wrong. You should not be doing that. If you're not giving any effort because of laziness with the way you look going to Mass, then you shouldn't do that also. You know, Just be normal. Just dress the part and take it from there. Okay? And... For anyone dressing immodestly, that shouldn't be happening either because it's church. I mean, the church is the last place you should be thinking about dressing immodestly. And that's one of the reasons why if you, for example, travel to Rome, you go to one of, I mean, one of many churches and basilicas they have there, 
you cannot enter a church if you are wearing flip-flops, if um, your shoulders are showing, if you're wearing shorts, so on and so forth. And they have a person designated to stand by the doors and monitor every single person that's walking in. And the reason they do that is not because of tyranny or to make you sad. It's because there's, you are entering the Holy of Holies. Okay? So, I hope that helps. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to rate this episode. Leave a comment if you would like. If anything was confusing to you at all, you know where to, where to reach me. But until then, as always, I'll see you next time.